0: Uriolus Upward we went by fields of asphodel, leaving artesia's moat bound walls below. By orchards, where the windflowers drifted snow, they lightly heaped upon the turf's light swell. By gardens, whence upon the wayside fell jasmine and rose and April's overflow, till winding up epipeles wide brow we reached at last the lonely citadel there on the ruined rampart climbing high we sat and dreamed among the browsing sheep until we heard the trumpets startled cry waking a clang of arms about the keep and seaward saw with rapt foreboding eye the sails of athens whiten on the deep The Tomia dei Cappuccini, the quarry of the Capuchins, is in Syracuse. After their defeat in the Athens-Syracuse War in 413 BC, 7,000 Athenian soldiers were imprisoned in the quarry and forced to work themselves to death. Later Capuchin monks purchased the cave and created a magnificent garden that became a regular stop for those doing the grand tour. Lutomia di Cappuccini. They were destroyed with an utter destruction. Overhead, the purple spaces of Sicilian twilight skies, streaked with amber and long reaches, westward where the sunset dies, far below in shadowy places, shapes of guardian cypresses and the surf still sighing on the beaches a long mournful cry from salamis. How the sun beats. There's not a breath to stir, even overhead the fringe of grass that flickers about the quarry's mouth. Each blade today is stenciled black against a sky of lapis. Oh, the cool breezes off Pentelicus! Oh, the sharp wind that churns to racing snow The violet ripples of the sea at home. How strange it is. I neither care today for victory nor defeat, nor that keen shame which numbed all lesser pains. All these are one. My soul has grown as slavish as my hands. I have forgotten even the names of things that used to thrill like wine. One longing only lives in me, and mine eyeballs burn with it to stand once more upon the shining steps that from the city to the goddess lead, seeing below the roofs of those I love. And, looking through the sun-smitt colonnade, that sky so bluer than all bluest blues, that over roofs are Athens, there to stand, and see the gleaming horsemen and the priests, the youths and maidens in their bright-edged robes, Familiar faces wrapped with alien awe. Unrecognizing as the statue's selves, they pass between as the long column sweeps onto the temple with a clash of song. Oh, to see this, to be a part of it. Each pulse vibrating with awful joy. Each sense a quiver with the light, the song, the lambent laugh of color everywhere. Oh, to be Athens, Athens to the soul. One moment only, then to be no more. Ah, how's the sun's sword pierces through my brain, and murder's thought and memory I might rest. But see the quarry's edge bristles with blades, drawn blades of foes, or is it but the grass against the sky? Cleobas died last night. He thought he lay upon his dear one's breast, And I, who held him, said no word to him. Hark, how the lash falls. It comes nearer now. Well, smite me then. And smite, and smite, and smite. Till from its utmost citadel you drive. The last poor spark of life. And so, well done. What? Have they passed me? What is this? I stand, free in the sunlight, on the shining steps. What song is this that swells upon the wind? What lips? What arms? What flashing swords and shields? Goddess, my Athens, Cleobus, then I. Suggesta is a Greek temple, also in Italy, which Wharton first saw with her dear friend and travel companion, Walter Berry in 1913, and again in 1926. Built between 430 and 420 BCE, the temple was never finished, having no roof or flutings on the columns. It is spectacularly large, measuring 200 feet long and 85 feet wide. In a letter to their friend, the art historian Bernard Berenson, she described the earlier visit. We left Palermo two days ago and went across those wonderful mountains behind Montréal to the Gagera Ford, where we lassoed two middlesome mules and pranced up the sacred heights to the most inspired solitude on earth. Suggesta, high in the secret places of the hills, cliff girt it stands in grassy solitude, no ruin but a vision unachieved. This temple is a house not made with hands, but born of a man's incorrigible need for permanence and beauty in the scud, and wreckage of mortality, as though great thoughts communing in the noise of towns with inward isolation and deep peace, and dreams gold-paven for celestial feet, had wrought the sudden wonder, and behold, the sky, the hills, the awful colonnade, and night-long woven through the fane's august intercolumniations all the stars processionally wheeling. Then it was that, having reared their wonder, it would seem the makers feared their god might prove less great than man's heart dreaming on him. And so left the shafts unroofed, and the shrine. beulieu sur mer sits on the mediterranean sea between nice and monaco in ancient days it was the greek port of anau later ruled by the romans wharton knew the riviera well and she frequently picnicked along the coast here the speaker and a companion are at leisure gazing at the sea conjuring images of the glorious distant past wharton left two slightly different versions of this poem one in her notebook and another in typescript, as if prepared for publication. Billyo Wood. The olive and the elex bend their boughs, light shimmering silver, shot with green austere. In Billyo Wood, above our dreaming brows, no voice of man nor noise of life is here. But far below, the sea's untrammeled blue, girdling the piney clapes with fringe of snow, or purpling to the peacock's jeweled hue in rock-bound inlets where no breezes blow. The selfsame sea whose waves erewhile have kissed, Carthage and Delos and the lesbian height, whose sapphire currents streaked with amethyst, have felt the Persian galleys pleading flight or laughed about the joyous prows that bore the flower of Athens to Sicilian graves. Now lapsing idly on the summer shore, those young omniscient, some paternal waves, heard of two idlers in the bullio wood, murmured the story of their past again, the throng of sails that lit their solitude, the warfare and the triumph and the pain two idlers amorous of the radiant past and with the sullen present ill content who in each vocal ripple shoreward cast hear the faint echo of an old lament lo we have known the wonders of the world the pageant of its splendors have we known but now our fleets are gone our sails are furled and winged memories sail on us alone where are the magic prows that cleft our seas where the hollow ships by heroes manned? A sail to find the fair Hesperides, the purple phantom of some deathless land. Then every valley stooping to our shore sheltered the foam-born nymph and nimble fawn. Each woodland hid the shepherd's honeyed store, brought to propitiate the gods at dawn. The blue-haired sirens sang about our caves, in crystal shallows paved with bones of men and on the plumy summit of our waves the laughing nereids leapt and plunged again then mighty cities throned like queens were fain their glorious image in our tides to glass and from their bastions leaning to the main watch the white pomp of navies pause and pass we bore their menaces from shore to shore throbbing with messages of life or death. And part ourselves of the rash hearts we bore, we leapt and panted with their warlike breath. Now on our shores, the gray decrepit towns shrunk in their walls and senile slumber lie. With grassy streets where ghosts of old renowns, walk lonely under the remembering sky. Gone is the watchman from the crumbling tower Vanished in mist the last belated sail, like clouds that scatter with a sunset hour, fled the last form of beauty and of bale. Dead Sidon and dead Corinth, Carthage dead, all the great queens whose feet we kissed of yore, fallen the crown from each dejected head, gone the last glory from our ancient shore. Here, writing in the 1890s, Wharton may have been observing a sunset from the porch of her Newport home, Land's End, which jutted into the sea. In the first stanza, she imagines the coast as the scene of ancient Norse battles, where Valkyrie accompany the heroic dead to their resting place. By the second stanza, her imagination, still mythic, brings a more personal vision of mortality. One can see a Wordsworthian evocation of the sublime, but also perhaps the more sober observations on the ebbing sea of faith in Matthew Arnold's Dover Beach. An Autumn Sunset. Leaguered in fire, the wild black promontories of the coast extend their savage silhouettes the sun in universal carnage sets, and halting higher, the motionless storm clouds mass their sullen threats, like an advancing mob in sword points penned that balked yet stands at bay. Mid-zenith hangs the fascinated day in wind-lustrated hollows crystalline, a wan valkyrie whose wide pinions shine across the ensanguined ruins of the fray, and in her hand swings high her head above the waste of war, the silver torchlight of the evening star wherewith to search the faces of the dead. Lagooned in gold seem not those jetty promontories, rather the outposts of some ancient land forlorn, uncomforted of morn, where old oblivions gather, the melancholy, unconsoling fold of all things that go utterly to death and mix no more, no more. With life's perpetually awaking breath, shall time not ferry me to such a shore over such sailless seas to walk with hope's slain importunities in miserable marriage? Nay, shall not all things be there forgot, save the sea's golden barrier and the black, close crouching promontories? Dead to all shames, forgotten of all glories, shall I not wander there, a shadow's shade, a spectre self destroyed? So purged of all remembrance and sucked back into the primal void, that should we on that shore phantasmal meet, I should not know the coming of your feet, moonrise over Tyrion now the high holocaust of ours is done, and all the west empurpled with their death. How swift oblivion drinks the fallen sun, how little while the dusk remembereth though some there were proud hours that marched on mail and took the morning on auspicious crest. Crying to fortune, back for I prevail, yet now they lie disfeatured with the rest, and some that stole so soft on destiny, methought they had surprised her to a smile, but these fled frozen when she turned to see, and moaned and muttered through my heart awhile. But now the day is emptied of them all, and night absorbs their life blood at a drop. And so my life lies as the gods let fall an empty cup from which their lips have quaffed. Yet, see, night is not by translucent ways. Up the gray void of autumn afternoon steals a mild crescent, charioted in haze, and all the air is merciful as June. The lake is a forgotten streak of day that trembles through the hemlock's darkling bars. And still, my heart, still some divine delay upon the threshold holds the earliest stars. O pale equivocal hour, whose suppliant feet haunt the mute reaches of the sleeping wind, art thou watcher stealing to entreat prayer and sepulture for thy fallen kind? Poor plaintive waif of predestined race, the ruin gapes for thee. Why linger here? Go hence in silence. Veil thine orphaned face, lest I should look on it and call it dear. For if I love thee, thou wilt sooner die. Some sudden ruin will plunge upon thy head. Midnight will fall from the vengeful sky, and hurl thee down among thy shuddering dead. Avert thine eyes, lapse softly from my sight. Call not my name, nor heed if thine I crave. So shalt thou sink through mitigated night, and bathe thee in the all-effacing wave. But upward still thy perilous footsteps fare along a high-hung heaven drenched in light, dilating on a tide of crystal air that floods the dark hills to their utmost height. Strange hour is this thy waning face that leans out of mid heaven and makes my soul its glass. What victory is imaged here? What means thy tarrying smile? Oh, fail thy lips and pass. Nay, pause and let me name thee, for I see, oh, with, with what flooding ecstasy of light, strange hour that wilt not loose thy hold on me. Thou art not day's latest, but the first of night. And after thee, the gold-foot stars come thick. From hand to hand, they toss the flying fire till all the zenith her dances quick about the wailing music of the lyre dread hour that ledst the immemorial round with lifted torch revealing one by one the thronging splendors that the day held bound and how each blue abyss enshrines its sun be thou the image of a thought that fares forth from itself and flings its rays ahead leaping the barriers of ephemeral cares to where our lives are but the ages tread and let this year be not the last of youth but first like thee of some train of ours if more remote from hope yet nearer truth and kin to the unpetitionable powers sleep. Somewhere, O oh sun, some corner there must be, thou visitest, where th- down the strand, quietly still, the waves go out to sea from the green fringes of a pastoral land. Deep in the orchard bloom the roof trees stand, the brown sheep graze along the bay, and through the apple boughs above the sand, the bees hum sounds no fainter than the spray. There, through uncounted hours, declines the day to the low arch of twilight's close, and, just as night about the moon grows gray, one sail leans westward to the fading rose. Giver of dreams, O oh thou with scatheless wing, forever moving through the fiery hail, To flame seared lids the cooling visions bring, and let some soul go seaward with that sail.